This is the Maverick Minister Deranged Bible Stories podcast series. Hello, I'm Mike Davis and welcome to the Deranged Bible Stories podcast series. I'm your host for this and all of the episodes in the series. I'd like to recognize Grace Smith who is my voice partner and who will be the voice of Eve in this episode. If you've listened to any of the others, then you might remember that these stories are based on my deranged thoughts regarding certain readings from the Jewish and Christian scriptures. However, this story is unique in that it isn't based on a particular Bible passage or book from the Bible. It is, in fact, one of several documents accidentally unearthed by a questionable biblical archaeological expedition. This like several of these archaeological documents, is a letter written by a well-known biblical character. Please be reminded that these stories in no way claim divine inspiration, nor do they seek to demean the writings in the Bible. I hope that you enjoy this one. This is my deranged thought. Since there doesn't seem to be any real information in the Hebrew and Christian scriptures which specifically discusses the origin of the institution of marriage, I have to wonder just when and why marriage actually came about. I have researched the subject, but I don't seem to be able to find any definitive answers. Maybe the only way to really know the story of marriage would be to consult a genuine expert. Luckily, the following ancient letter was written by the very first marriage expert, and it does a pretty good job of answering most of the important questions about marriage, both in ancient times and in our time. Expert Advice About Marriage from Eve, the First Woman Dear Iris, So, I hear you're getting married to a nice young man from over at Mount Ararat. I think that's wonderful, and I couldn't be happier for you. In fact, I think it's so nice that you're getting all grown up and married that I'm going to give you a little grandmotherly advice. Not that I'm trying to interfere and tell you how to live. God forbid that I should do something like that. But you have to understand, it is the prerogative of grandmothers to give wise and unwanted advice whenever they want. It's something that comes with age, kind of like wrinkles, white hair, and forgetting things. Now, when you're young, it's easy to believe that you already know everything there is to know and that you do not need advice. When I was young, I didn't take advice from anybody. But then I was the first woman and I didn't have a grandmother or anybody else for that matter to give me advice. Once there was a talking snake who was 
full of advice, but uh, we're not going to talk about that. Now that I have grown older and possibly wiser, I can't help feeling like it's my responsibility to pass on some things to you that I had to learn the hard way. So, Iris dear, just sit back, relax, and listen to what your grandmother has to say about marriage. After all, it's not like you have a choice. First of all, on the subject of marriage, I'm an expert. When you're the first at something, it always makes you an expert. Besides, I was married to your grandfather, Adam, for 650 years. Experience makes you an expert, too. So I can tell you as an expert that marriage is like a bed of roses. It looks and feels wonderful when you first lay down on it, but you find that the more time you spend there, the more you get stuck with the thorns. What I mean to say is that when I got married to your grandfather, not that I had a whole lot of men to choose from, I expected that life would be perfect. I thought we would be wonderfully happy and that our love for each other would overcome any obstacle. Needless to say, I was a little bit naive. But after all, I lived in Eden, and when you live there, it's easy to be naive and view everything through rose-colored glasses. When your grandpa Adam and I first started out, we didn't have to make any promises or vows. Loving, comforting, and honoring each other was simple. Cherishing and being faithful were as natural as breathing. In Eden, it seemed like we were all that there was and everything about our lives was perfect. But Eden didn't last very long. It never does. It was even in Eden that we had our first real crisis. I couldn't believe it when your grandfather tried to tell God that the whole forbidden fruit eating incident was my fault. I could have kept all the fruit for myself, but he was my husband. So I shared with him, I thought he'd like to be included. And he thought it was great too, until we got caught. After that, he didn't back me up and appreciate the fact that I shared with him. Oh no, just because we got kicked out of Eden, I never heard the end of it. That was the first time that I realized the bed of roses even had thorns. But over the next 600 years or so, I got stuck with a lot of them, a whole lot more. 
there were problems to be overcome and sicknesses and children and stresses and pressures of living day to day that sometimes made Eden and that perfect marriage that I had expected seem like a fairy tale. But every now and then, there were glimpses of Eden again, moments that reminded us why God had put us together in the first place. All in all, there were lots of roses and lots of thorns. Don't get me wrong, dear. It's not just the thorns or just the roses that I'm talking about. Because you see, every marriage is full of both. But neither thorns nor roses will make or break one. Good times and bad times, happiness and sadness, sickness and health, promises, commitments and responsibilities, roses and thorns. They are all a part of being married, but they are not the most important part. Sharing yourselves with each other, that's the most important part. Marriage is about sharing the good times and the bad times, sharing the happiness and the pain and sharing the sickness and the health. Taking each other seriously, believing in each other, and being free to share what you think, feel, and dream. Those are the things that will either make or break your marriage. When God made your grandfather and I, he made us male and female, each incomplete. I think he did that so we would never have to be alone because we realized early on that without someone to share ourselves with, there was no way for us to be whole. Sharing is what marriage is really all about. In fact, I'm pretty well convinced that sharing is what life is all about and it it's not easy. All in all, there isn't much of this marriage business that has been easy over the years. There have been times when I've wished that God had made the first man a porcupine for a companion instead of me. And there have been times when I'm sure he has wished for the same thing. There have been times when we both wondered if all the pain, frustration, and aggravation of living together was worth it. But my dear, let me tell you, it was, and it is worth it all. That's because there have been other times when I've realized that I could not be Eve without Adam. There have been times when I have known that the sun would not shine as brightly or the sky would not be as blue without Adam to tell about it. There have been times when even through anger and tears, 
I could still see so clearly that holding on to each other was much more important than what was trying to tear us apart. I can honestly say that for all the things that I can count as gifts in my long life, the fact that God gave me someone to share it with is the one for which I am most thankful. So Iris, get ready. It's finally time for the grandmotherly advice. After you're married, don't expect miracles. Don't expect a bed of roses or the Garden of Eden. Don't expect him to be everything you ever wanted and don't try to be everything he ever wanted. Instead, expect him to be nothing more or less than himself. Sometimes that will be wonderful and other times it will be something that you wouldn't want to mention in polite company. Iris, my dear child, you be yourself as well and know that you won't be easy to live with all the time either. Expect marriage to be nothing more or less than the sharing of your lives. Be sure to share the good times and the bad times, share the anger and the joy, share the wealth and the poverty, share the sickness and the health. But above all, share the work because marriage is work. Marriage is work that can make your life together mean a great deal more than your lives ever could have meant apart. Okay, that's enough of grandmotherly advice. We've got a wedding to plan. Make sure you let me know when you go to pick out the dress. I'll help. And tell your mother to call me so she'll know how to plan the reception the right way. I wouldn't want to interfere, but I'm an expert in these things too. Let me hear from you soon. Love, Grandma Eve. <laughs> So, here is the spiritual insight. There was once a young couple who came to a priest to get married. After discussing the service with him, the couple asked if they could change some words in the marriage vows. He allowed as how that might be appropriate depending upon the changes they had in mind. They asked only to change the words, until we are parted by death, to, for as long as our love shall last. The priest suggested that perhaps they should decide whether they were ready to make a real commitment to each other or not. They said they were ready for a real commitment, as long as it was a conservative one. We live in a world in which we can get just about anything we want with some kind of a guarantee. Guarantees come with just about anything except real love and honest relationship. Openness, vulnerability, affection, sacrifice, fulfillment, ecstasy, 
companionship, honesty, and all of the rest of the descriptive words that are applicable to what people experience and share when they're in love never come with a guarantee. There is no way to make a conservative investment of ourselves which will guarantee that things will work out to be the way we expected or even wanted them to be where love and relationship are concerned. Maybe that's why lots and lots of people are unhappy and unfulfilled in their marriages, friendships, romances, and other relationships. It's the expectations that foul us up most of the time. Instead of looking at the other person, we look at what we want or expect that other person to become. And oftentimes, we work very hard to mold them into that expectation. They generally try to fit our mold, too, at least for a while. Then the mold gets too confining, and either the mold breaks or the loving relationship does. There can be freedom and new life when the mold breaks, but there's always pain, loss, and sadness when the relationship does. It is a much greater adventure to discover the real person that we love than it is to attempt to mold that person into our expectations. In discovering who they are, we generally let who we are peek out from under our defenses, and we generally find ourselves to be pretty lovable as well. Most often in that process, we wind up being as loving to him or her as we hoped our lover might be to us. People who have lived for a very long time and who have loved someone for a very long time seem to know this lesson well. We might do well to listen to them, because good advice, especially about love, is hard to come by. Thank you.